I just, um, we sing that song. And in light of Revelation 5, in light of, unless the Lord heals Andrew, what he's going to experience here shortly. And I just get that picture of that, that seeing Jesus face to face and, and worshiping him, not just with a, a handful of people, but Revelation is super clear that it says for a, a multitude, thousands upon thousands, from every nation and every tribe and every tongue, such a diverse population of God's creation on their knees, worshiping Jesus forever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the one who gave it all up for us. I, I want you to get that picture in your mind because I have just really one hope this morning. And the hope is that each of us would walk out of this place feeling rather small, rather tiny. You're like, well, no, I'm valuable. You are valuable. I'm important. You maybe are important, you know, to some. But, I, but in light of all, I want you to walk out of here feeling small in relation to God, the creator of all, our Savior Jesus. Because all of heaven, all of eternity is going to be all about Jesus, all about God, the one who is on the throne, forever and ever circling around worshiping his praise. And I often believe that we, in our world with good intentions, we want everybody to have their, their, their sense of value and purpose and worth, and I want everybody to find their, their sense of value, purpose, and worth in Jesus and know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But I often wonder, in light of that, if, with that hope, that we have made much of ourselves and thought of ourselves even higher or greater than God Almighty. That we think about ourselves more than we ought. This summer, I've been looking at these pictures that have been on this telescope uh, that uh, was sent into space last December, December 25th, Christmas of 2021. This, this telescope was shot out into uh, space, and when they, they shot this out into space, the announcer said, uh, it begins a voyage back to the birth of the universe. And I don't know how they do this, but this satellite traveled over almost a million miles into space and has shot back some pretty amazing pictures of what life looks or not life, what, what space looks like. Now, this first picture was uh, shared just uh, recently by a French scientist, and it's this, uh, this first picture up on the screen. And this is a, a picture of a nearby star 4.2 light years away. And he said this is an up-close view of this star, a, a picture that has never been taken before. And he said it's a whole new world being revealed every single day. Now, just a little lighthearted moment. That turned out to be a hoax. He just took a picture of a, a sausage and put that up on the screen. And it, but it got shared thousands of times. But in all reality, here are some pictures from that telescope. The next one, this one is the Southern Ring Nebula. Star located 2,500 light years away. For years, it has been sending out this, this ring of gas and dust in all in directions, in all different directions. This next picture is a, is a grouping of five galaxies. 
Five Galaxies was featured in the classic It's a Wonderful Life, 290 million light years away. One of those galaxies is about the size of our galaxy in the Milky Way. Next one is called the Cartwheel Galaxy, 500 million light years away. This is what happens when two galaxies collide. You see the galaxy in the middle, and then the ring around it is a, is a galaxy that, that, explode, that, that collided, and then they exploded, and then uh, that is what, uh, what took shape. Two galaxies colliding over 500 million light years away. But this next picture is my favorite, the Carina Nebula. There, this is a, a picture of mountains and valleys speckled with those glittering stars, it's actually a nearby star-forming region, 8,500 light years away. This is where stars are born. But for perspective, you see the kind of the mountains? That is seven light years high, and the width of it is 230 light years wide. These, all taken, these pictures taken by the satellite out in, in space. And then I think of the words in, in Colossians 1 that all of creation was made by Jesus, speaking it into existence, and was made for Jesus to bring him praise. And then in Hebrews 1, it says the whole universe, so take that in mind, the whole universe is being held together by the power of his word. I hope you feel small today. I hope you feel small because I feel, believe that, that, that when we get a proper perspective of ourselves, and we get a proper perspective of God, that's when good things start to happen. And so here's my assignment for you this week to go out. It's nice and warm this you know, summer. Go outside on a nice starry night. And I just want you to look up to the stars and feel small. Because that is when, when we get our, our minds and proper perspective with God, that is when our dependence on him, our desire for him, our hunger for him, frankly, increases. Isaiah 66, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Isaiah 66 says this. And as we've been talking about the same God exists from yesterday, today, and forever this summer, as we, we've been looking at who God is, the question that I keep coming back to, and I probably asked this before, is what kind of heart is God looking for? What kind of heart is God after? Isaiah 66, the Lord says this. Heaven is my throne. Heaven. Just think about, again, that universe, the, the bigness of it. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is the one to whom I look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. This is the one, the one who created all of that, created the, the universe, those stars, millions of light years away. This is the one who gets his attention. This is the one he blesses. This is the one he honors, the one who is humble. The one who doesn't think too highly of themselves. The one who isn't boasting in his or her achievement. The one who isn't talking about how great they are. And this is the problem with pride. 
I mean, we see it all in our, our, our day that the that, that, that people who are boasting in their achievements and who, are, who they are, and God says that he opposes the proud in James 4, 6, but he gives grace to the humble. God says, this is the one that I'm going to look at, the one who is, is humble, the one who is lowly, the one whose heart breaks over sin, the one who, who doesn't just you know, feel a little sorry for the, something that they've done, but the, whose heart who is, is absolutely shattered with grief over the sin that they've committed. God isn't looking at the one who's trying to justify their sin or trying to say, eh, it's not all that bad, or trying to defend their actions, or are argumentative, saying, I, I, I deserve to do that. No, he's looking at the one who is contrite in spirit, who's broken, who has a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to salvation, according to 2 Corinthians 7. And then this one, the one who trembles at his word, who respects, who has reverence, who honors his word. Eugene Peterson says this in translating this little section. He says, reverently responsive to what God says. I want you to look at Isaiah 66.2. Does this describe your life? Does this describe you? One who is, is desperate for God, so, so humble, saying, God, I absolutely need you. One who is a heart that is dependent on the Lord. God, I need your word. One who trembles at his word. God, you just said this. Oh my goodness, that comes right from you. This is who God looks at. This is who gets his attention. And this isn't the only verse that says this. Isaiah 57, uh, 15 says, God says this, I dwell with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Why? To restore the crushed spirit of the humble, to revive the courage of those re with repentant hearts. David said, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, you will not deny. Is this our heart? Are you and I living this way with this, this humility, this understanding of who we are, saying, God, without you, I am so lost. I'm so done. I was really taken this week by a passage in 2 Chronicles 33. If you want to turn there, 2 Chronicles 33. And this is how God looks at the humble heart, a heart that is broken with sin. We see the, in 2 Chronicles 33, there's a, a king named Manasseh. And Manasseh was like an evil king. There's only a handful of good kings. There's many evil kings in the, the history of Israel. And Manasseh, it says that he did more evil than the nations that the, the Lord destroyed. Like this guy was absolutely evil. He built altars to false gods. He put them in the, the temple Worship uh, false gods right in the temple. And this is what happens in verse 10. 2 Chronicles 33, verse 10. It says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. I mean, do you see that picture? Here was Manasseh, who was brought with a hook in his nose and, and bound with his hands and his feet, led into captivity. And it says this, and when he was in his distress, when he was in pain, he entreated or made a request, he requested the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. 
He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty or his request and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God and then throughout the rest of his days worshiped him. Look at how God responds to the humility of Manasseh. A man who lived much of his life not giving a rip about God, going the other direction, but in his distress, when things were closing in around him, when he was in the midst of his pain, he was moved to the point where he humbled himself greatly and cried out to God. Now I think about that. In his distress, in his pain, there is actually something beautiful and good that comes out of pain. None of us want to go through pain. None of us want to experience pain. And, and frankly, the, the pain and the death and the loss and the suffering that we experience in this world is all a result of, of the broken world that we live in and all a result of sin in our world. And God will allow us to go through pain. He doesn't cause it. We have an enemy who steals, kills, and destroys. But we go through pain, and in the midst of pain, something happens deep inside of us, and we fall to our knees and we cry out to God. And God uses that pain to get our attention to grow our intimacy with him, our dependence on him. This week, Cece and I had the privilege of talking with one of, frankly, my heroes and one of Cece's heroes, Ben Patterson. Ben Patterson, who was the dean of the chapel in the 90s and saw revival come to Hope College. And Cece was there and Janine knows who I'm talking about and many of you know who I'm talking about. Uh, tremendous man, Ben Patterson and his wife, uh, Loretta. And they were sharing about prayer. And they shared a story this week uh, with us, with a number of us, uh, that I've heard before, but it was such a great reminder and something that we need to be reminded of today. Ben talked about uh, being a younger pastor and uh, was pastoring a church when all of a sudden his back went out. And he's an active man and his back went out and he was flat on his back in so much pain for months. The doctor's like, you can't go anywhere, you can't work, you can't do anything, you have to be flat on your back. And so he was laying there in so much pain, which struggled to get to the bathroom, and was laying there, and, and, and he asked his wife, bring me a book, at least I'll try to read. And he even found that that was uh, too hard for him, he couldn't read, he just was in so much pain. And so he said, all right, bring me the church directory, and I'm just going to pray over everybody, pray over every family, over every person, and he would do that every single day for two hours. Just lay on his back and pray. Well, towards the end of his time when he started to feel better and he was thinking about going back to work, he prayed and he was saying, oh God, like I've so enjoyed this time. This has been such a wonderful time and now I'm going back to work and now things are going to be different and this was his prayer. And he heard God speak to his heart this. And he says, you have the same 24 hours that you do when you're sick as when you're healthy. And then he said this, God put this on his heart just as clear as day. He said, this is the problem. When you are well, you think you are in charge. When you are sick, you know you are not. When you are well, you think you are in charge. When you are sick, you know you are not. I think so often when life is good, when things are going well, we're like, oh, we think we're in charge. We got this life thing down. Pain and suffering has a way of getting our attention and reminding us that we are not the center of the universe. It humbles us in such a way where we have to cry out to God. God, we desperately, desperately, desperately need you. 
And in that story of Manasseh, in his distress, in his pain, he cried out to God, and God was greatly moved by his humility. God heard the cries of Manasseh, saw his humility, was moved by it. There's also a passage in Hebrews, I believe chapter 4, where it says when Jesus was here on this earth, God was moved by his reverence. That has always taken me like, I'm like, huh? Moved by his reverence? This is the son of God. This is your son, God. But God was moved by the reverence of Jesus. Reminds me of 2 Chronicles 7, 14. God said this, if my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is the heart that God is after. This is the heart that he is longing to see. Are our hearts, are our lives marked by this humility, marked by a brokenness over sin, a brokenness to the point where we repent and and turn the other way? Are our lives marked by a a trembling at the word like, oh God, this comes directly from you. I'm going to tremble at your word. As I look at my life, as I look at the world that we live in, and frankly, I'll just speak about the church, I have huge concerns I have huge concerns over the lack of prayer and desperate prayer in my own life. The lack of dependency on and desperation for the Lord of just crying out to Him in each and every situation. The lack of humility. I don't think we hunger and thirst for the Lord like we see people in Scripture. We busy ourselves with activity and we go from one thing to the next instead of depending on the Lord every single day. Instead of being marked by an obsession for Jesus, he's just an addition to our life. I look at people in Scripture. Nehemiah, for example, when he saw the brokenness of the city, that he prayed and he fasted and he cried out to the Lord, he wept bitterly. Is that true in our lives? When we see the brokenness in our world, are we moved to weep? Are we fasting? Are we praying and just broken over the condition of our world? Are our lives marked by a desperation, a humble desperation for the Lord? But I also have a huge concern over the lack of a trembling over God's word. We don't tremble at the word. Instead, we have a a culture in the church that is characterized by the original lie of the enemy who came to Eve and he said, did God really say? Did God really say? And instead of trembling, We ask questions or we challenge or we debate with God. And frankly, there's so much arrogance and pride in saying, ah, he doesn't really mean that to be sin. God actually means whatever. And it's like a clay pot telling the potter, this is how you should have made me. This is what you should have done with the world. But this is what we do. We say, did God really say? And I believe, and you feel free to challenge me on this, I think it comes from an obsession, a culture that is obsessed with ourselves. Our value, we, ha- we should be valued, but it has turned into an obsession. Yes, he did really say, there is only one way to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Yes, he did really say that there's only one name under heaven by which people can be saved. Yes, he did really say that those who believe in Jesus, who don't believe in Jesus, will spend eternity apart from him in hell. Yes, he did really say, you can't have, says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. He did really say that. Yes, he did really say, if you want to find your life, 
To follow him, you have to give it all up. It's not just adding him to your life. Yes, he did really say, if you want to be great in the kingdom, become the least and serve. And that's why I love the heart that I see here at Restoration. People serving, giving up their life, saying, you know what, I want to serve in this or that. And I have a vision and a desire to see everybody serving in one area of the church. Where when it comes to children's ministry or youth ministry or whatever, it's like, yep, I'll do that. I'm doing my one thing. Because if we have just 100 or so people doing one thing, everything would be covered. Yes, God did really say, if you want to be great, become a servant. Yes, he did really say that purity matters. That we're not to be greedy just getting stuff for ourselves. Or not get drunk on wine or not put anything before him. That is idolatry. Or not gossip that we're to love one another. Yes, he did really say, seek him with all your heart and you will find him. He did really say, don't worry about your life. Be filled with faith. Trust him for everything in your life. And he did really say, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. There's so many other things. The point is this. We must be people who tremble at this word to the point where we are living it out. We have to simply read it and say, God, I trust you. Trust you that you know what is best. And so this morning, I want to end by reading Luke 11. And this is Jesus' teaching on prayer. Because who is the most humble person ever to live in this world? It's Jesus. Humbled himself. How did he live? Well, the disciples saw how he lived. That he only did what he saw the Father doing. That he was in a desperate relationship and dependent on God, his Father. Going often alone to pray for hours. To the point where the disciples, who knew how to pray, who were good Jewish boys, who knew the words to say, saw something different in Jesus. And so they said this in verse 1 of chapter 11 of Luke. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when they finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not in temptation, into temptation. And then he said to them, and he told a story. And this is where I want to focus, because there's so many things that we could talk about in each of the things that he said. But he tells a story. He says this, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything, which is actually a valid point. If you have kids or have ever had kids in your home, you never want them to wake up in the middle of the night because they just can't go back to bed that quickly. And it's like, oh, keep the kids sleeping. He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give you anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receive, receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
the thing that I want us to take away from this morning is this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. It's this picture of a friend coming at midnight and just saying, boom, 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 I need you to answer, and I'm not going to give up until you give me an answer. Now, we might not always like the answer. I'm standing here right now wishing and hoping and still praying because I believe he's still alive. I haven't gotten any word that Andrew would be healed. That is, I believe, the heart of the Father. And I'm praying for that. But even if the answer is for Andrew to be healed and to see Jesus face to face, it's not the answer that we want, but it's God answering. He always answers. And I want us to be a people who keep knocking, knocking, knocking on heaven's door and crying out. That's why this prayer time that we have, I have grown to love. It was just an idea that we threw out that, hey, let's just try this and just instead of one person person praying, let's all just share requests and let's all pray. Because Jesus said, my house, my father's house is going to be known as a house of prayer. That's what we need to be characterized by. And so we will be a people that are crying out to the Lord, a people who are humble, a people who are desperate, saying, God, we need you to show up, a people that are repentant of sin, that are confessing sin, a people that are, are honest with one another, saying, I have this going on in my life, I, and I need to turn from it, a, a people who tremble at the word of God, even those moments when we're like, I don't like what he's saying, but I'm going to trust, and I'm going to live it out, but to be a people who are humbly seeking the Lord every day of our lives.